Hi, this is the Seattle Mama Doc Podcast, and I'm Dr. Wendy Sue Swanson. We all work so hard to perfect how we pull off parenthood, and often we may not feel good enough. And I'm here today to help you face some of these fears and challenges head on. Going to talk a little bit today about dental anesthesia and sedation. And what I mean by that is how we can hopefully <laughs> prevent adverse events and outcomes in kids, including death, who are undergoing sedation. Um, for dental procedures or oral surgery. And this came up because every year the American Academy of Pediatrics creates at their what's called their annual leadership forum. They get leaders from all across the country, pediatricians from all over, to present proposals and ideas that pediatricians from across the country think are important. And there can be 80 or 100 or 200 ideas that come to the leadership forum. And then the academy prioritizes and says, okay, we're going to tackle 10 things this year. This year, one of the 10 things was not one more child is what it was entitled. And what they meant was not one more child should die from an adverse event from sedation or anesthesia in an outpatient or in a dental procedure where they may not have the safety in place. So as a spokesperson for the American Academy of Pediatrics, I ended up connecting with Dr. Paula Whiteman, who is the pediatrician from the L.A. area, who's a pediatric emergency medicine doctor, who wrote the resolution about not one more child and got it through as one of those top 10 things because she started to recognize that those who were caring for children in that setting may not be caring for children in the most responsible way. And after some tragic deaths, one of a little boy named Caleb, which caused a law in the state of California called Caleb's Law to go into effect in January of 2017, requiring a license by the dental board to administer general anesthesia to kids under these dental and oral surgery procedures. Um, she became a really strong advocate. And so I talked to her all about the history and of the bill. And then I was asked to do some media interviews that aired both on the Megyn Kelly interview show and also on the Today Show. So now I'm getting contacted by all sorts of people. And I just want to say Dr. Paula Whiteman and the Academy is going to work really hard to help connect the dots here so we can get more clarity and transparency of how we protect kids. But for you, if you're a parent listening, I want to go over why this issue has come up and what we can all do as parents to protect our kids if undergoing sedation for dental or oral surgical procedures. So let's just talk a little bit about anesthesia and sedation in children. You know, we sedate, which means change the alertness of a child or use medicine to change even the behavior of a child to do all sorts of things in medicine, from getting stitches to even doing surgeries to oral procedures. And we do it differently for kids because we dose medicines not just on weight, but we do. We dose them based on a child's weight rather than like an adult. You know, we just kind of give you a dose of ibuprofen. You know, we say, oh, two or 400 milligrams. Well, with kids, of course, we dose it by how much they weigh. But, but you know, Dr. Jeremy Guidecheck, the, the, the chief of anesthesia at Seattle Children's, spent a lot of time teaching me in preparation for some of these interviews, too, that one of the things pediatric anesthesiologists also do it really fastidiously is they titrate. So they say, yeah, I want to sedate a child. I want them to be comfortable. I want to take away their anxiety. And sometimes even when it goes to general anesthesia, I want to take away their consciousness, frankly, to do something that would, if they were away, cause them pain. But not only do they dose the medicines by how much a child weighs and their expertise at dealing with children, but they titrate it up. So he says, you know, they want to always use the smallest amount of medicine possible to get the desired effect. And what he basically said to me was, you know, the reason being is that there are certain kids that are at higher risk for challenges or adverse events from anesthesia, which we'll talk about, or sedation. But also, you give a handful of kids a dose of a medicine, and you get a handful of responses. So, you know, 
my kid who weighs 30 pounds and your kid who weighs 30 pounds could get the same dose of a medicine that's supposed to just decrease their anxiety or, or quote unquote, sedate them. And one of our kids wouldn't be sedated at all. And one of our kids would be completely snoring and totally out of it. And so it's unpredictable. And so you want someone who really understands that when it comes to kids. We know that infants in particular have the highest risk of having outcomes or adverse events from sedation or anesthesia. That can mean like a slowing in their breathing, an inability for them to kind of wake up as fast as you expect, or them to go from what we would maybe in old terminology kind of call mild sedation and go into moderate or even go into deep sedation that's closer to general anesthesia. And then the next risk group is really kids under the age of seven. So kids under the age of seven are just more likely to have adverse events from anesthesia. So it's just different than adults. They're just riskier. And part of that can be weight and base, but it's also just their lungs are different. The pathophysiology of how they breathe and how their heart and lungs work together when they're sedated is different. So we want to be really sure that particularly young kids who are having procedures for dental or oral surgery, if they're at higher risk, that they've got someone really managing and taking care of them and someone who has a lot of training in how to make sure you keep a child's airway open, how you make sure to keep a child getting the oxygen they need. And then God forbid, if something's going really badly, someone who is trained and practiced at rescuing. And that's what all the anesthesiologists told me that I talked to again. And I learned when I was a pediatric resident and when I was a medical student. And as I continue to go through, you know, certification on a, you know, every two-year basis as a, as a healthcare provider that practice really matters. So there are simulation labs that we've got in our hospital that our emergency medicine teams use, our critical care doctors use, our anesthesiologists use, not just for medical students and residents and fellows, but those who act and function in the emergency room go through these simulations because we want everyone to be very practiced. It's hard to ventilate a child or even air, you know, mask, valve, aerate them or what's called ventilate them, really just pushing air into their lungs in the case of them not breathing on their own. It's not as easy as it looks of just on the on the TV show of just kind of pushing a little bag. You need to know how hard to push it. You need how to know how to fit the mask, et cetera. So when families are, are learning about this, the reasons that we care is that sometimes in some of these unfortunate and hopefully preventable deaths have been where a single operator, meaning someone who's doing the operation, is also the one pushing the medicines and using the monitors to monitor a child. And some of the cases have happened where an oxygen level is being monitored or what's called a carbon dioxide, which is what you breathe out, is being monitored. And the child is failing to breathe well failing to be oxygenated, and the monitors are going off, but someone is distracted because they're doing the procedure. And so they're not intervening as early as they can. And the and the resolution that came through the American Academy of Pediatrics is just making sure that we get away from this single operator model, that we've got, if some child is getting anesthesia or sedation, that there's someone who's just doing that, pushing the medicines, and the person who's doing that is monitoring the machines and is also a person who is practiced and experienced in the rare, rare event that something goes wrong, that they know how to rescue a child, that they know not just how to call 911, but in the minutes that it takes for 911 to get there, they know how to rescue a child. And that takes practice. So I'm going to go through some tips of what families can ask when they're getting ready to have their children have dental procedures and oral surgery. But one of the things is really making sure if my child's getting sedations, who's going to give the medicines and who's going to be watching? And the concern from the American Academy of Pediatrics proposal is that it's not dental assistance 
assistants who may not have not only only just gone to high school but not gone to college or had special medical training that or practiced or experienced in kids, that we really have someone who practices and is experienced at rescuing a child who may stop breathing or has an unexpected event. One other little asterisk I just want to say before I give tips for families is that in addition to making sure that you think about when you're preparing for a dental procedure, that your child has a good team. You also want to really know that your child is appropriate to be in a setting of an outpatient setting for a procedure. So kids before a procedure will come to someone like me, a general pediatrician, for like a pre-op dental visit and do a a check. And in anything I've done in preparing for all this is, is really learning that kids who were born prematurely, they're at higher risk for having um, outcomes that are negative. Kids with developmental delay or developmental disabilities have a three times risk of having an adverse event from anesthesia. So if your child was born prematurely, if your child has underlying health problems or what we call comorbidities, if your child has developmental delay, they probably shouldn't be in just a standard environment if they're going to have sedation or anesthesia. They should be in a pediatric facility where you've got a pediatric-trained, practiced, expert person managing them because their risks are just a little bit higher. And then afterwards, and then you want to make sure that the team that's caring for your children are practiced and experienced. And then after the procedure, you really want to make sure that the person or the people monitoring your child after the procedure know what they're doing. And I loved one tip that came from a 2016 clinical report from the American Academy of Pediatrics said, your child should be able to stay awake and be alert and not fall asleep or change their level of consciousness in a quiet room for 15 to 20 minutes before you ever leave a medical facility. So if you're waiting after a procedure and that annoying thing where we always say, like, you have to wait for 15 minutes, like we do that after shots too. But if your child's waiting for 15 minutes after a dental procedure or oral surgery and they're kind of groggy or dopey or kind of almost falling asleep, they shouldn't leave the care of the medical facility. And that's just one general rule of thumb. So you want to make sure that you're making sure your child is of low standard risk before they ever do this, that the team is the right one during the procedure, and then afterward the observation is the right observation as well. So some tips for families of if your child's getting ready to have oral work done from a dentist or oral surgeon, the likelihood that this will go great is high. (laughs) Most of the time this goes great. But one of the things you should do is make sure they have a background check to make sure no one in the family has ever had adverse events from anesthesia, that they have a full physical exam from their pediatrician, and that you make sure and confirm that they're of completely standard risk. If anything's of elevated risk, prematurity, developmental delay, underlying lung problems, history in the family of adverse events with anesthesia or sedation, then they should be in a separate facility with a pediatric anesthesiologist who practices and is trained to do this. Then when you're getting ready for the day of the procedure, ask who's going to be in the room. Is it just the surgeon or is it a surgeon and an assistant? And is the assistant pediatric trained? Ask them how many kids they take care of every week. Ask them how many kids they take care of every day. Ask them how often they take care of kids that are of your age. Because administering sedation and anesthesia to children is different than administering it to adults, and it is of higher risk. You want to make sure you feel comfortable that the team that's there is practiced and experienced, that in case something goes wrong or in case your child goes into a really deep sedation unexpectedly, that they know exactly what to do to make sure that they stay safe in that environment by giving them good ventilation 
information and support in a calm manner and have backup. How close is your facility to an emergency facility or a children's hospital too? Might be worth it. But talk to the dentist, talk to the oral surgeon, make sure they're taking precautions. Remember that the advocacy that's going on that's getting a lot of attention is about making sure that if if the second person in the room that's monitoring your child's sedation and airway and oxygen level is just an assistant level trained, are they trained in practice at rescuing children? And is it more than someone who's a dental assistant for the level of sedation? And I'm not just talking about a little bit of nitrous, or I'm not talking about um, light sedation. But that being said, knowing how many medicines or what medicine your kid is get should be something you feel you really understand. And then lastly, after the procedure, before you go and go home, and one of the tips that the clinical report from 2016 also said is, if possible, have two parents go. Because the driver of the car, if your child's in a car seat in the back and you can't see them, you want another adult with them, meaning that if they all of a sudden fall asleep in a really deep sleep after the procedure on the way home and you don't monitor them and they occlude their airway or they have a suffocation of it, you want someone back there. So a couple of things. Make sure your child can stay awake in a quiet room for 15 to 20 minutes after the procedure before you go home. And if possible, transport a young child with two people, someone in the back to say, oh, keeping that child awake, making sure you're monitoring them so that if it any concern that your child gets back into a level of sedation or sleepiness, that they're breathing regularly and their head is upright and breathing okay. Dentists and oral surgeons are working hard, I think, to make sure your children are safe. Pediatricians, in some ways, are knocking on the door to make sure that the level of safety in the dental and oral surgical office is the same levels of standards that we have in pediatric offices and in hospital settings where there's someone managing a child's sedation that's different than the person who's doing the procedures. For more information about this this topic, protecting your kids with dental and oral surgical work, look at the links on Seattle Mama Doc. Check out the segment from the Today Show or from the Megan Kelly Show, and don't hesitate to ask questions, and I can put you in touch with some of the experts. Because of anything, I've been so schooled and trained and learned so much more about this issue of how parents can advocate and, and how we can protect our kids. The reality is this stuff is scary and parenting is a high stakes job. But the good news is with this information, you've got this. Thanks for listening. The Seattle Mama Doc podcast episodes air every single week. I'm always interested in hearing what you have to say, what was helpful and what you want to learn more about. Reach out to me on Twitter at Seattle Mama Doc, on my Facebook, Seattle Mama Doc, or at SeattleMamaDoc.com. Tell me what you want to learn. Tell me if you want to join me and point me to experts you'd love to learn more from. 